This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Roger. Oh, it's on National Pie Day special. Is it National Pie Day today? Apparently it is. What happens on National Pie Day? Uh, well, we got a tweet from Dank 922 Mm-hmm. who explained it. He said, happy pie day, men in blazers. Uh-huh. Or as Big Sam likes to call it, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that the pie lobby has, has got Powerful that much enough. influence that they, they've managed to get a national pie day in. Apparently they run the government. It's a secret yep. government within a government. Oh, the pie lobby. Hello it, to all our pie lobby listeners. It's not pie the symbol that stands for three point whatever, one, two, four. seven, nine, eight, six, four, yeah, it three, is. two. Oh, it's, it's that, that pie day. Yeah. Oh, it's a different pie day. Yeah, that's the okay. powerful pie lobby. Go. The true powerful pie lobby. Oh, but you're back, Dave. I'm back. What From do you mean South I'm back? Dakota. Well, I was in Los Angeles. The swing cat state. No, I just had a little, we just made a little evening trip to South Dakota, as one does. I'm jello. That is one state I am desperate, desperate to go to. Where were you? What were South you Dakota. Went to Deadwood, South Dakota. Oh. Um, is that a real place? Deadwood is a real place. It's like the last, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I think it's the last authentic sort of Western town. Like you drive down it, you know, like when you watch a Western yeah. and you, you, you go down the main drag and there really is only a main drag and there are just like saloons on either side. There's maybe a hardware store. There's a, <sighs> perhaps some sort can, of fishmonger. And can you rent your own tumbleweeds for a Yeah, tumbleweeds, everything. But it's, it's, it literally looks just like that, except now it's been paved over. And every single business, whatever their main business is, whether they're a saloon or whether they are an ironmonger or whether they're a fishmonger or whether they're a grocery store, a lot of is also a casino. It's been explained to me uh, that prostitution was legal there. Well, it wasn't legal it's so much as it just was not really frowned upon until like, I don't know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And it's just... It's just an amazing place. And I, we you flew, make it sound like Westworld. Deadwood is sort of like Westworld. It's about as close as you get to Westworld. It's a fantastic place. We met amazing people. The uh, slogan for the South Dakotan Tourist Board, Roger, because you know they've got Mount Rushmore over there in South Dakota. Heard about it. Didn't, By the way, you and I one day will go to Mount Rushmore. Didn't get to go and see it. Yeah. We need to go there before Trump carves his face in Mount Rushmore because you know he's going to do it. He'll, we were actually talking about which president he'd replace. to the pod, so we should be careful with these ideas. We were talking about, like, how would he add it as a fifth one, or would he just get rid of Lincoln? It'd be, like, <laughs> overrated. <laughs> Trump better than Lincoln. But the slogan, it's like my favorite slogan for the uh, South Dakota Tourist Board is, South Dakota, so many places, so many faces. <sighs> Me and some of my mates flew up there. It was one of our boxers. Uh, Regis Progre. One of your boxes now. We've got two. Have you ever We've got two. Two is a stable, technically. Not only do we have two whole boxes, but we had two whole boxes fighting last weekend in the 140-pound division. Each other? Well, no. Back, boys. Hold them back. We're we're keeping them apart. Alex Salcedo uh, fought on Saturday night uh, in Los Angeles at StubHub. And on Friday night... uh, In the parking lot or actually on the built? No, actually, he's a very, very good fighter. I mean, both of these guys are are like top 10 in the world. I'd expect nothing less of somebody that you've trained. They're really amazing. No, I did not train him. Regis Progre uh, from New Orleans, amazing story. Left literally the day before Katrina, evacuated to Houston. Amazing family story. Proud of New Orleans. Got New Orleans, the skyline tattooed on his chest. So have I. Fights at 140 pounds. He just 
destroyed his opponent, and he a very, very good opponent with only one loss in his career. And um, seventy-three-year-old yeah, parking the lot attendant no, from was Deadwood. Not, no, was not. We flew all the way up there for three rounds, two and a half rounds of boxing. And, and uh, got back. But it was an amazing trip. It's a little bit oh. of momentum behind Churchill management and our boxers now, Rog. Yeah, like, the whole boxing world is a buzz I thought about this was... the Churchill boxing stable. Weirdly, they sort of are. Yeah. And it was, I thought this was going to be a loss leader. But once again, this could be another billion-dollar business, Roger. This could be, this could be another billion-dollar business. Would you stop printing cash, I'm trying David? to. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to affect it. I might affect cash. the economy if I print too much cash. I don't want to print too much cash. <laughs> All that time you spent in crew box, David. Yeah, this doesn't have a lot to do with crew box, and my mates would not like you saying that for various reasons. But check out on YouTube, Regis Progre. Alex Salcedo, amazing fighters. <sighs> very, very good wins, Rog. Another slightly less economically pecuniary news, David. Yeah. We've got a book out. The book we financed in the self-publishing. It's up on Amazon <laughs> now. It is. It is up on Amazon. Does the actual cover up there, or is it why still would, the temporary why red would cover? the publishers take the extra step of putting the world's first tweed book cover? Yeah. I mean, since... Uh, was it the Steve Guttenberg Bible, the first thing that was printed in the 40s? Since Steve Guttenberg printed his Bible, I there was don't not been, think it was Steve there was Guttenberg. Not, he had a career back then. Yeah. It, there has not been a tweed book cover in the yeah. history books. There was now a tweed book cover. But why would the publisher take the step of putting it on Amazon? Now they prefer the red, the kind of nothing to see here, move on. The generic book cover. Yeah, so that one's still up on Amazon. But uh -huh. Encyclopedia Botanica. Blazotanica. Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's hard. We did not write the Encyclopedia Britannica. I feel like I just wrote it. I feel we like want I just to, wrote for, it. For the lawyers yeah. at Encyclopedia Britannica yeah. who listen to every podcast yeah. in the world, just just waiting to hear if people are claiming that they wrote it. We yeah. did not. We are not claiming feel, to have written. I feel like the I just wrote the Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica. We wanted to say on the cover of our book actually that it was ghost written by Zlatan yeah. talking about the lawyers, but mm -hmm. the publisher's lawyer wouldn't allow it. Yeah, my it, bits were. It was though. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, my bits would go thanks Latin. United fans have been wondering why is he not playing well he did a first draft he did it was very helpful and then uh, and then we got uh, Rashford to punch it up a little bit yeah. it was spell check by Wayne Rooney's son Kai <laughs> so our book encyclopedia what's it called Blazer Tanaka the suboptimal guide to soccer America's sport of the future since 1972 you're an author now Davo oh it's it's an honor how would you describe the book the book it's well it's about I don't know it's about what 11 inches high. Yeah, it's about, it's it's about baby sized. It's about the size of a newborn seven, baby. Seven inches wide. Yeah. It's got it's a lot got of girth. pages. It's got, it's got a lot of the paper, the paper, because we've been signing the tip ends. My favorite part of writing the book is just signing them. It's a. When David uh, has a bad day. I just, I just sign lots of books and I, I feel so away. much better. Say David loves signing books. I love it. I you love think? doing it. Although oh. yesterday was quite an angry day. I, I, I feel for the people who get. One of the books I signed yesterday because it's quite an angry autograph. Did you hate signing? Did you hate signing? I was tippings? I was spite signing yeah. yesterday. I was spite <laughs> signing. We both set out to create something. Yeah. We both had a goal. We wanted to try and create something that would be the final nail in the coffin of the publishing industry and soccer. Yeah, and I think by and large we've achieved <laughs> yeah, both. I think we've done say? it. I think we've done it. We also we wanted to try and prove that it is possible to write a worse book than "Does God Love Michael's Two Daddies" by Sheila K. Butt. Uh -huh. I'm not sure if we achieved that goal. It's a fantastic book, that. But we really wanted to create a volume which kind of explores and plums the inky dark depths of the Men in Blazers universe, the one that we've created with you, GFOPs, over the last eight years. The, one, one, that we, the one that we've lived in. The, yeah, the one that we've... It's the ecosystem in which we've inhabited. But it's also a prehistory of Men in Blazers. I tell you, I've enjoyed 
so much. Like during the writing of the book, I don't think we read each other's stuff very much because we were just so anxious to go and get it done. We were waiting to get it from Zlatan. Yeah. <laughs> so Don't but, care that you got training either. But since we've written it in these final stages, I've read all of your pieces and I've learned so much more about you. Most of it positive. <laughs> and, uh, but I've enjoyed it. It's the prehistory of everything that came before. The prequel. And, and also the way your mind works, which I still don't fully understand, Rog. Oh, I must admit. It's cloaked with self loathing and, and the motion foreign to the Davis clan. And you are mildly defective. Yeah. But it's a. Um, but, I own that. But, but you do under, you get to understand you, and I think you might get to understand the and character love. I play in Men in Blazers, Davo, it's, a little bit more as well. It's ultimately a love story. Yeah. But it's about the sport that we both love the pantheon of heroes and villains, the moments of ecstasy and despondency. We wrote in the introduction to the book yeah. that George Eliot once said, art is the nearest thing to life. It's a mode of amplifying experience and extending our contact with our fellow men beyond the bounds of our personal lot. Yeah. If you substitute the word football mm-hmm. for the word George Eliot uses, art, mm-hmm. that really is ultimately what the ethos of the book about, and it's how we wrote it for fans old and young, experienced mm-hmm. and neophyte, a tumbling collection of great games, characters soaring, moments, salty chants, balds, tattoos, mullets. They're all jammed in there. There are some self-indulgent detours. J.K. Chesterton once said, a good novel tells us the truth about its hero. A bad novel tells us the truth about its author. I think this book tells you a lot about the authors. A right, lot about David? the authors. A lot about, <laughs> yeah, I like to view it as sort of boy- Meets ball, boy loses ball, boy gets ball back. I sort of think it is about that for both of us, ultimately, (laughs) because we fell in love with football at a young age. We both left football a little. Like when we first came to America, we were so infatuated with America. We had doubt. We had doubt, and it was tough to find ball when we first moved to America. But we got ball back seriously, and it's a love story in that way. David, stop the presses. We should have put that on the back (laughs) of the book, my friend. There are separate essays. Latan didn't write that for me. I didn't have it. (laughs) He did write essays on Tweed, Cordroy, Mm -hmm. Seersucker. I'll say your essay on the balding sectors is the definitive classic on the subject. It's a treatise. Essay, it's about 48 words, but there are five illustrations. You wrote an essay on the old English football highlight show, The Big Match. Oh, The Big Match. It's how we used to consume football in the olden days. It made me cry when I read it. Still miss The Big Match and Brian Moore's comb over. I think we are going to do an audio book. It's going to be less an audio book where we read the book and more an audio book where we talk about the book. Well, we're very, very drunk. <laughs> and the writing of... It'll be more like the VH1 behind the music, but a lot darker. Uh, I think it'll be the audio version of Pop-Up Video. <laughs> it's probably a better description of a VH1 show. Oh, we should thank everyone at Knopf. Knopf. Is that how you pronounce it? The people that have helped us to self-publish our book. Is it Knopf? Knopf. Or is it Knopf? I like to say Knopf. You do? I Knopf. think it's Knopf. Uh, it could be for f- 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 plopped. Yeah. For plopped. Particularly Alfred Knopf. Um, Alfred's been behind the book since the, the beginning. very beginning. Very beginning. Many, Alfred has been there for us. Many people say it killed him. <laughs> 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 yeah. But we should thank our remarkable editor, yeah. Andrew Miller. Yeah. And by remarkable, we mean long-suffering. Yeah. Writing books. I don't know if you know this, listeners. Writing books is a terrible business. <laughs> when, when we met Andrew Miller... <laughs> Honestly, he was 24 years old. Yeah. And now I look at him. He had a future. And I wonder when he's retiring. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, he has aged 40 years just in the process of doing this book. I think us. 40, you're being kind. <laughs> Poor guy. I went for a meeting with him. You did? Yeah. And he, um, I, I surprised him. I walked in and he uh-huh. was working away with a quilt by candlelight <laughs> in his office as people in publishing do. Wow, he has a lot of books in his office. And he wasn't expecting me to come in. He had his teeth in a glass <laughs> of water. 
by his little angle poise, and he quickly grabbed them as angle poise. It's a candle. <laughs> I'll just say, writing a book, it's up there. We're releasing a movie only on Betamax Video. Yeah. So we're saying to you, GFOPs, Men in Blazers listeners, if you have listened to this pod, if if our pod has blemished your life. Uh, in the past month, some of you have been listening. This is hard for us to believe since the very beginning. Off the ball. Off, 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 off the ball with Michael yeah. Davis and Some Roger. people have read my World Cup diaries in yes. 2002. I feel terrible for you. Yeah, I got photos sent to me yesterday of me with hair at Camp Kingswood in 1990. I mean, people have been with us for a very long time on this <laughs> rather odd journey. If you are one of those people, yeah, please support our old school effort. We do not ask much. But, Rog, to be clear, we'd also like the people who haven't been with us since the beginning to support our effort. Yeah, if you've just started tuning in and had us recently blight your yeah. life, we're speaking to you too. What we're saying is we'd like to sell more than 11 books. Yeah, and 11's a lofty goal, <laughs> friendo. But buy it for everybody in your life, essentially, who's yeah. going to cut work for 30 days during the World Cup, who are going to daytime drink and savour the tournament. Pre-orders are important in the book realm. We've learned this, haven't we, David? Yeah. So please go early and often. Every copy makes a massive difference. Add reviews and five-star ratings. Other ratings are available, but five-star ratings, very helpful. Mm -hmm. These small steps, they make a massive, massive, massive difference because we're the worst thing to happen to reading since, well, since the original alphabet was developed by Semitic people outside Uh of Egypt in about 1900 BCE. Uh Go to meninblazers.com. We've got all the options about how you can get the book. Please get it. Let us know you have it. We're nervous, we're afraid, and the outside world is harsh and cruel. Yeah, also we're signing a lot of books. <laughs> that's the other thing. And it's, it, that's really taking a lot of effort. It wasn't writing the book, it was signing the book that is the hardest part of it. Okay, we've got other MIB news, Rog. We did. We've got some truly remarkable shows coming up. And I never say that, but we're about to record our review. It's like an NFL film style review of the first Premier League season ever, 1992-93, which is scheduled to debut, thanks to JW, who is now probably the world's living expert on the 1992-93 season. Baggy shirt, footballer haircuts had not yet been invented. Sponsors didn't know they could attach themselves to to Premier League football as the great global billboard. It's all so innocent. There's a Musto playing, there's a Dixon playing, there's a Lasso. He's not even shaving yet. It was a tough Chelsea season. It was a tough Chelsea season. We will get into it. Oh, ah, Cantona said, ooh, Cantona. It yeah. debuts Sunday, April 8th, after the football uh-huh. on NBCSN. Is that a Sunday, J-Dubs? Oh, uh-huh. my God. They're letting us on on a Sunday. Yeah. And then we're then... The Sabbath. Yes, we're going to defile the Sabbath. Yeah. I'm not sure we should be doing that, but we yeah. are then on live again, April 9th, right? Bloody hell, back to back. Sorry, America. Oh, sorry, not available. In our merch store... Yeah. Uh-huh. We've just launched the English Beef Line. A merch store. Yeah, it might just be the best thing to happen to Chelsea this season. Uh-huh. And we're going live show crazy. LA show, May 26th at the Ace Theatre in downtown. Thanks mm. to everyone. A lot of people coming up from San Diego. We cannot wait to raise a Nobody beer Nobody knows you. why they named it San Diego. <laughs> and this Tuesday, yep. the Golden Blazer 2018 goes on pre-sale via our newsletter, The Raven, which you can subscribe to at meninblazers.com. We expect tickets to go very fast and furious for that one, but we cannot, cannot. It's a very special golden blazer this year. I can tell you one clue about who it's going to be. Yeah. It's a 42 regular. 
<laughs> One thing I love is that every time we give any information about men in blazers and the whole men in blazers world, yeah. we both, as we say it, rather haltingly say it and look towards JW to make sure that we're correct. And JW gives us the thumbs up. And when we get the thumbs up, we're both so pleased with ourselves that we actually got something right. JW it's so is good. JW is the men in blazers without any doubt at all. Okay, we've got a packed show today. We're going to marvel at baby-faced assassin Marcus Baby Rashford's cold-blooded brace in Man United's 2 one win over Liverpool. We unpack unsavoury scenes at the Olympic Stadium, Good to say savory. the least, oh Rog, during West Ham's 3-0 drubbing at the hands of Burnley. And we take the temperature at the Arsenal after convincing back-to-back wins over AC Milan and the AC Milan of England, Watford. Plus, an MLS goal orgy. Yo! Exclamation point, eagle screech karate kick. Okay, Rog, to the football. Oh. I want to raise this beer, David. Yeah. To America. In a truly crap day yeah. for the United States. Yeah. I passed my citizenship test last Thursday. Oh, Rogie. It was it was very moving. What do, do you think you got a B? Or uh, a, a C? I aim for was it a passing it, I grade? For, I can tell you, they you have to answer ten questions. What were they? They're like, what's the Bill of Rights? Um like who are the who wrote the Constitution? Uh-huh. Name ten Native American tribes, that kind of stuff. And then you have to answer a hundred questions. Whether like, have you ever committed genocide? How are you a terrorist? Have you been involved in communist? And I, I just kept saying no, no, no. <laughs> and then finally, I said after a hundred, I was like, I don't mean to be rude. I've lived a very boring life. <laughs> <laughs> it was very moving, David. Yeah, it was very overwhelming. Many of you know I promised that I would become an American citizen if the U.S. got out of the group stage. It's taken me a little time to get my crap together. But are you officially now an American citizen, or have you just passed the test? I've passed the test, and now yeah. I need to be... I have to wait to be invited to be sworn in. And then there will be a ceremony. But it was incredibly... There'll be a hell of a ceremony. Uh-huh. It's going to be But beautiful. if this was emotional, I'm just saying that the ceremony itself... I mean, you're going to be weeping. I will say, I was in the, the waiting room to take the test with five other aspirants. There was a young French student. Yeah. There was a Ghanaian mother. Yeah. There was two gents from Brazil. There was yeah. a, and there was an 80-year-old Belgian bloke. He had a Mechelin scarf on. And it turned out for reasons I still don't understand. He was actually there to be sworn in. He could barely walk. He, his name got called. He shuffled to a podium in the corner where this yeah. immigration official came uh-huh. out and, and swore him in in front of us. Yeah. He did the Pledge of Allegiance in Walloon. Because huh. he didn't speak English. Yeah. This 80-year-old guy. There's a long waiting list for Belgians. He's been waiting like 60 years. He has just be- to find an immigration official that speaks Walloon. <laughs> <laughs> but as he did so, I thought about growing up like I did, like you did, David. Yeah. Where we were obsessed with the United States. Yeah. You know, watching Heart to Heart, watching... And when they met, it was moider. Watching different strokes, watching Starsky and Hutch, Cagney and Lacey, yeah. Ferris Bueller, Molly Ringwald, Tracy uh-huh. Chapman, Public Enemy, the Super Bowl Shuffle. Yeah. Budweiser cans were so exotic in Liverpool. Oh. To become American for me... I still love the Budweiser can. Oh, it's the achievement of a lifetime. It really is, David. And when he finished his pledge, all of us, we couldn't help ourselves. We just broke out in thrilled applause. And this old Belgian man, he turned around so slowly... And then he pumped his fists in the air like Jurgen Klopp. He gave it that. Mm-hmm. And a little tear rolled down his cheeks. And that tear 
it best articulated all of the inarticulate emotions that I feel right now. I would love to see the real scene as it played out and the scene as described by Roger right there because my guess is they were very, very different from each other. Um, but that's beautiful, Roger. Congratulations. I am very I've toned excited down the emotion. for you. Are any, are any of them decent at football, do you think? Any of them could make the US men's national that 80-year-old team? 80-year-old Belgian yeah. with a Michelin scarf. Yeah. It's got quite a left foot. No. I'm just saying, Dave Sarek, get on it. I am waiting for my US call could up replace now. replace Beasley. I am waiting for my US call up. Yeah, I'm yeah. half the Marcus Beasley's age. Yeah. <laughs> get on it, Sarek, and I'm waiting yeah. for my call up. Get me and Danny Williams in that team. We'll do the beers at the Gold Cup. To the football, Rog. Let's get there. Man United 2, <sighs> Liverpool 1. This is pre-Champions League exit, Man United. Which we'll touch upon. Man United 2, Liverpool 1. A massive top four clash between two of England's fiercest rivals and who steps up rog a 20 year old so unjaded and you doesn't even do the footballer hand over the mouth thing while talking a pair of incisive <laughs> marcus rashford strikes gave united a first half lead despite a quite spectacular second half own goal from eric bailly liverpool never found a way back into the game united stay second rog liverpool meanwhile slipped to fourth just four points clear of fifth place Chelsea. Wheels within wheels. Yeah. God, what a complex, fascinating psychological tussle this was. United yeah. two points ahead before the game, mm-hmm. but still stung by that memory of October's parking the bus 0-0 Anfield, which really deflated the Mourinho title hopes. Yeah. And this contest also, you know, Liverpool entered this, we've got to remember, as the darlings of the Premier League, the entertainers, the Little Miss Sunshine Indie Smash. All the momentum yeah, with Liverpool. Yeah. All of the momentum with Liverpool. And Mourinho, his team had been more like a middling blockbuster, a bit like the, the, the King Arthur legend of the sword of this Premier League season. And you saw it in the manager's handshakes. You know we like to make too much into these. This one was just a masterclass. Let me refresh your memory, Dave. Klopp, brilliant, out first, rips a page out of the Mourinho Alpha Dog playbook, positions himself at the mouth of the tunnel. The one place where he knew Mourinho could not avoid him. Conte did the same thing. And yes, he'd been watching game tape, Klopp, yeah. hadn't he? And Jose kind of stumbles out. He sees Klopp at the mouth of the tunnel. He, 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 he clocks him. And it's, clops an, him. It's, a, it's an awkward second. He, uh-huh. he can't walk backwards and retreat to one of his favourite places, about the back it. of the tunnel. <laughs> he yeah. thought about it. Can't go forward. Just kind yeah. of stops awkwardly mid-tunnel. Mm-hmm. But Klopp holds firm and forces Jose, kind of, you have to walk through me, which Jose does. And as he gets to Klopp, he reaches out a hand, pats the German on the shoulder, but Mm. never makes eye contact. He just kind of strides past him, Mm. leaving Klopp to just walk awkwardly in his wake onto the field. Who won it? So you think Mourinho won it? I think Klopp just edged this one. Oh, really? But the whole tussle just gave a sense of the nerves both men were feeling for different reasons before kickoff. So should we talk about the football, or have we, done, have we covered all the important bases? <laughs> <laughs> but, but even before you get to the football, you get to the setup. Obviously, the other story coming into this was Pogba. You know, an amazing, like, the rumours of the relationship between Mourinho and Pogba. Pogba, without any doubt, the best player on Man United, and yet has not looked that way, has been lacked discipline, has just looked a shadow of the player he is capable of being, uh, playing for Mourinho recently. He's not playing. What does Mourinho do? Is he going to park the bus? He sets up McTominay, the the, the child McTominay, uh, next to Matic, right in front of the right in front of the back four. And by the way, it was a brilliant, brilliant tactical move. Oh, it was because Liverpool sought to establish their pass and move rhythms, but with the two of them, McTominay and Matic, 
It was just like a dam which held firm. United, to begin with, slightly unsyncopated star components all over the field. But then on 40 minutes, long ball from De Gea, Lukaku flick over Lovren, freeze Rashford, and oh, what a, what poise, what focus, what sudden burst of confidence. No, and a fantastic finish, such a simple move. You know, critics of Man United will say, oh, long ball football. But long ball from De Gea, it's basically a goal kick. He's your playmaker. It's a goal kick. It's like, this is what goalkeepers traditionally have done in football, is why should they play into Liverpool's hands? Why should they try and play it from the back when that's what Liverpool want? Take away the press. Long ball, your boy, Lukaku, playing like a genuine wish. playing like a genuine centre forward, Rog, like a proper Premier League centre forward. Like the Lukaku we always dreamt he could be. Winning the ball in the air. Against, by the way, fairly, you know, Lovren is going at him, going at him. And he's just all, he's physically dominant. Posterizes Yeah, him. nods the ball down. Fantastic control. I mean, oh, that, that, it, that move from, it looks so, he made it look it so simple. You've just done it. What, so with the, the nod. little head, that oh, first the, touch, the header down to his own feet. He made it look so simple. But if you've ever, I mean, a lot of, I'm sure GFOP is saying, oh yeah, I do that move a lot. But it is such a difficult move to pull off, to control the ball with your head, to in nod stride. it down to yourself in stride. And then the control cut back oh, and the fantastic. sudden burst of confidence with yes. which he just lashed it home, charged towards the old Trafford faithful, leapt into the air, the release, yeah. the joy. I'm not a peripheral figure. I am Marcus Rashford, age yeah. 20, and this is my second coming, or maybe his third, David. I've lost count. Well, whatever, within... 10 minutes, it would be two, another long ball. Italy, when they were really struggling in the, in the late 90s, they were accused of having no real playmaker. And, and their coach said, Buffon, our huh. goalkeeper, he's our fantista, uh-huh. he's our playmaker. And it was kind of a joke. Huh. But when you watch De Gea and his release and the way he looks to quickly turn play around and the accuracy uh, of his kicking, he really is United's playmaker, another long ball, more chaos in the Liverpool area. Lukaku uh, again winning the flick on. goal kick. I just want to say again, a goal kick. I mean, Liverpool fans so outraged that Man United would would use a goal kick against them. It's yeah. like this is not like revolutionary football tactics. That's not it's a decent. goal kick. It's a goal kick. It's the goalkeeper kicking the ball out of his own area into the opponent's half. In more than that, though, in the vicinity of Lovren. Yeah. Oh, one of those Lovren days for Lovren. That man, he does have. I'm trying to think about. He does get closer this time. I was trying to think it about was a better challenge. Humans in sport who have more predictable human synapses than Lovren, and I can only think of Grace and Allen. Mm. And then Lukaku lumbered. On towards goal, a fantastic run. It was like Earl Campbell-esque. Havoc in the area. The ball drops to Rashford. Yeah. <sighs> another finish. Yeah, this one perhaps a tad more fortunate, but another great finish. God, Rashford, the finish, the joy. What a big game scorer he is. He scores derby winners. He downs Arsenal. Mm-hmm. He's been cup final man of the match. Come up massive in European games. Remember those United yeah. fans? He's now scored twice against Liverpool. Only logical reaction to this, David. The only rational reaction. England are going to win the World Cup. Well, especially he's England's fifth-choice striker, Rog, behind uh, Harry Kane, Vardy, Raz, Glenn Murray, and now uh, Rashford at the back. Yeah, Yeah. I'd start start Rashford and Murray. (laughs) Exactly. Experience and youth. Yeah. You're right. Baby in the hammerhead. Man United were getting all that they deserved. And it wasn't just how well they were playing that goal kick ball from De Gea. It wasn't how well they were, how many challenges they were winning in the air, how many of the 50-50 balls they were winning. 
they were containing the Liverpool counter. They were containing Mo Salah. And you started to get this feeling that just perhaps teams are starting to realise this is what we have to do. And perhaps people are going to now follow the Man United playbook. Yeah, it's fascinating, Davo, what you say about working out Salah. I would not go there yet, but I will make a statement. Liverpool, they look totally lost without Pogba on the field. And Salah barely <laughs> got a sniff with Ashley Young, who was covering outstandingly. That vaunted front three suddenly looked a little lightweight. And United, they did seem like a ripple-clenched fist that was able to strike at will, which was an astonishing thing if you've watched United in recent weeks. Brace yourself, I've thought, for instant knee-jerk narrative flips. Mourinho back to his imperious best. Klopp, mm. Liverpool still missing a piece for a true challenge. Lukaku is the Griezmann Suarez-level player that we always thought he was. Ox is Emirates Ox once again. Even Firmino's teeth seemed a little more yellow than normal. And the rest of the game, it was one Liverpool corner after another, essentially. Eric Bailly going a bit French Phil Jones to hand them a lifeline with the own goal. Got a bit nervy for United down the stretch, but that won't be remembered in this game, will it? Well, no, because it was a win, ultimately. I mean, look, yes, there will be sort of a potential narrative flip here, but look, we're 30 games into the season. Man United are five points ahead of Liverpool, and they're five points ahead for a reason. It's not just like one game that flips the narrative. They're five points ahead for a reason. They are the team in second place and have been the team in second place for most of the season for a reason. And I sort of view this as Moneyball, is that Man United are a Moneyball team. They're the team, what are they doing in Moneyball? They like get on base. Man United, Jose Mourinho's teams know how to get on base. In the league. Yeah, that's the object. More money than ball. Whereas Liverpool, they look really good. They're like, they're, oh, they look like a football team. Oh, they play like a football team. Oh, they attack like a football team. Oh, they score like a... That's how we want to go and see football played. And sort of them, a little bit like Arsenal and certainly like Tottenham, they are the more... That's the way we want football to be played. That's the way we want to go and see football. But they're always... Like the Bash brothers, a lot of long ball. Yeah, but they're going to be these money ball teams. And Mourinho teams are money ball teams that they God. just know how to get on base. More money than ball and a lot of money, we should add. Until the Champions League. We will get there. I will say the odd thing about this game, David, at the end of it for a massive game, you ask yourself, what does it mean? The win for United, it didn't mean a lot. It was really an exercise in jostling for symbolic power. I mean, both teams are going to get a top four place. They were more jostling for who will be the true threat to City next season. What is more important in football, entertainment or winning pragmatic football? Mourinho, not lost it. Klopp, still got to completely find it. That was really the... the yeah, but I think a loss for Man United against Liverpool at home would have been bad. I think this would have been a bad result. As we would find out yeah. yesterday in the Champions League. Yeah. Oh, I did, after the, the Liverpool win, I did try to be positive. I was trying to think Mourinho's progress. How do you measure it? And, and focusing on the stat that his United had won four of their eight games against fellow big six sides in the Premier League, won four, drawn one, lost three, twice as many as they managed last season. I kind of clung on to that as really the best evidence, the best case of Mourinho's project at Old Trafford progressing. But then they go and crap the bed insipidly with all their big guns, neutered at home by a scintillating Seville. Yeah, and look, the one thing I'd say in Man United and Mourinho's defence is perhaps... That win at the weekend took a lot out of them. That was a big game to go and have before a Tuesday Champions League game. It's shocking to see. One just did not expect Man United to take. They were in the position of extreme advantage going into this second leg at home. Just did not expect to see Jose lose this game. Four shots on target over two legs, undone by positive football. Mm -hmm. And then Mourinho had this to say to United fans at the final whistle. 
I don't want to make a drama of it. That's football. It's not the end of the world. I sit in this chair, meaning the old Trafford uh, press conference chair, twice in the Champions League when I knocked Manchester United out with Porto and then Real Madrid. So it's not something new for this club. He's taking the piss, right? Well, no, I think that's actually just brilliant. I think I viewed that as being brilliant. It's like, I've done it. I've knocked you out and you still survived. And so now we've lost and we've still survived. I think it's the most genius. I mean, you can get into that. I mean, it is, you can get into it in terms of the, the <sighs> game he's playing with United fans, with the United ownership and with the media, and also how he's managed to deconstruct that himself. And he's managing to have himself both in the first person and the third person <laughs> at the same time. And probably in singular and uh, plural. plural. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. I'll just say, knowing the old Trafford faithful who expect greatness, they don't demand it, they expect it. I will say that is a dangerous... They expect it. They feel entitled to that, it, right? That is a dangerous, yeah. dangerous game. You know what I feel sorry for? Alexis. <laughs> Highlight of his United career so far was playing that piano. When Rod says he, he feels sorry for him, he has the biggest <laughs> smile on his face and has now broken out into laughter. You know what this we is how do, Rod Jay feels does. sympathy. We should cut a video of just awful United Alexis moments tink, cut in between him tinkling the piano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not quite what he yeah. imagined when he glory, yeah. glory, man united. Shank one over the bar. <laughs> glory, glory, man Hand on hips frowning in that moody glory, way. Glory, glory, man united. Head in hands. <laughs> I've made a terrible mistake. Crouching <laughs> at final whistle. Even Fingers in temples. <laughs> weeping. Uh, yeah, uh, tough. So, but a good weekend for Man United. Oh my God, but... Four days are a long time in football, Rog. Then the exit in the Champions League and uh, Jose can't have one entirely good week. But he's still celebrating, apparently, his wins against Man United for Real Madrid and Porto. So it's all OK. <laughs> he sees it. I won it 2-1. I'm 2-1. I'm 2-1. Uh, Stoke City. I'm 2-1. 2-1. <laughs> Stoke City, nil. Manchester City, to Another exhibition from Pep's <sighs> mob. A brace from small, bottomed, bald, small. David Silva was the difference in this one. Both his goals, like him, were as beautiful on the inside <sighs> as they were on the outside. City move within three wins of the title. Stoke, meanwhile, remains second to last. One point from safety. Oh, clinical, comprehensive stroll. I think I copy and paste that almost every week and drop that into my City game notes. Mm -hmm. This game was like watching someone who's really, really good at doing Rubik's Cubes just brazenly pick up a Rubik's Cube and, and do it. Without the hands. Yeah. Just like just with the it. power of their mind. It was. It yeah. was. I mean, last week we talked about City being a jazz combo akin to the Miles Davis quintet. Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, Ron Carter, Tony Williams. Every... <laughs> Occasionally Raz picks up the trumpet <laughs> and he just goes, <laughs> just completely Raz, misses it and drops it. Raz blew through the wrong end. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I, see, I see Raz being more of an oboe kind of guy. Oboe? Yeah. Just when you said oboe, oboe you were, was that the oboe you were playing then? Yeah, it was the oboe. I was oboe. Not many oboes in... Not many oboes in jazz quartets or quintets. What instrument would Raz play? Triangle. Yeah, glockenspiel. He's proper <laughs> glock. He'd be on the recorder. Raz, yeah. the recorder solo. But every player in that combo gets to play a near-magnificent solo. And this mm -hmm. week... It was David Silver's turn on trumpet. Yeah. What a deliriously wonderful footballer he is. 36 million he cost when he moved in 2010. Uh-huh. Eight years of talismanic service. I mean, he is Manchester City's transformative winning DNA personified. 
Yeah, he really is. I mean, and you're so right. It's like there's a, there's a guest star every single week. It's like they've got a highly paid ensemble cast and they've got to give every single one of them sort of like good lines, a good script every now and then. When they get their pages, they're like, okay, I'm in Pepe's it this week. Spanish Robert I'm Orman. in it. I'm in it this week. Scored inside nine minutes. Yeah. Then he killed off the game with yeah. a goal which was beyond astonishing. Next level move of passes. It's like all, each pass was like LeBron's one on Sunday when he kind of just operated on a different realm than the mm. other humans that surrounded him. You had Pep on the sideline, so rumpled, sweatshirt untucked, oh. white t-shirt hanging out. Four. J-Dub said that he, he looked like he was trying to say that strolling into Stoke was the equivalent of nipping out on a really early Saturday morning for mm-hmm. a coffee and not being bothered to change out your pyjamas. Mm. I can just roll into the bed 365 like this and take three points. He took it all in. I look at him and I think, Willy Wonka, invention, my dear friends, 93% perspiration, 6% electricity, 4% evaporation, and 2% butterscotch ripple. That does not add up to 100. That's what Mike TV said. (laughs) 105%. Amazing stat. Pep City have already won 81 points, which is more than five Premier League winners needed to win the title, including Man United in 97. Uh-huh. When they won with 75 points. That's a point that Mourinho will be making in his next press conference. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets over 75 points, he'll be saying, yeah, this is... Mm, Sir I, Alex won the title with this many points. Why is it not a title for Jose? Hmm? So you ask yourselves that question. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, okay, Rog. West Ham nil, Burnley 3. Some ugly, ugly scenes in this one, Rog. Immediately after Ashley Barnes gave the Clarets a 1-0 lead in the 66th minute, a West Ham fan <sighs> ran onto the field only to become entangled with Irons captain and lifer, Rog Mark Noble. Chris Wood added two more for Burnley. Additional pitch invasions and fan protests of the West Ham board ensued. Children evacuated from the, the stands to go and sit on the Burnley bench, Rog, to get away from the, the fighting. Things in East London, Rog, not all jellied eels. They should have given the London Stadium to Orient, Rog. Yeah. They would have turned it into flats by now. There'd be a block of flats. <laughs> Barry would have put a block of flats, like maybe in the centre circle. They just played around it. Not a big oh, deal. Shock, horror, bubbles of mutiny and anarchy at the London Stadium. I mean, it was multiple pitch invasions, mm. angry fans, fights between West Ham players and their fans. Mark Noble gave a colon inspection to one of the West Ham supporters in the centre circle. Another fan walked into the middle of the field waving the corner flag as if in surrender. Club owners being hit in the parking lot by bottles of piss. Joe Hart goalkeeping fumbles thrown in there. Mm. So much fighting. As you say, the Burnley substitutes gave up their seats on the bench to give kid fans the safety they needed so they wouldn't be caught up in the fighting. General misery. Third consecutive heavy defeat for West Ham. And the fans chanted, we're not West Ham anymore. They really aren't, David. You don't see this getting any better as well. If you looked at West Ham's fixture list for the rest of the season, it is terrible. Like, their run-in is awful. Really, there's a serious chance that West Ham go down. You know, this. I know it gives you no pleasure at all to see David Moyes struggling at West Ham, Rog. But this is a team that, honestly, you could see getting banned from the Premier League, even if they don't go down. I mean, what do the Premier League do? You've now got a stadium which is a... A bear pit. It's just a bear pit. It's like with so much space between the field and the fans, it yeah. can only be used for fighting. Yeah, it's, nature abhors a vacuum. It's it's not safe. It's not the image that the Premier League or that the sport really wants to project to it's the, the rest one of the it's world. It's moved away. I mean, I, I found it so emotional watching these scenes unspool out. I really yeah. did. It was like a throwback to the 1980s when we grew up watching with a sense of menace at football grounds, just deep physical violence being the norm. 
and this argument between the West Ham fans and the West Ham ownership, it's like a clash of old versus new, the local versus the global. Oh, football club versus a commodified brand with global pretensions. I mean, you've been to Upton Park. You remember what that yeah. was like, the old no, school Upton Park, old school. a very old school thing. But having said that, the London Stadium move should have been a massive win for this club. Just economically, the power for West Ham to go into that stadium, really at the taxpayers' you know, cost. And that money should have been invested in the club. And I think what... And while I don't in any way support the actions of West Ham fans invading the field, fighting with each other, all that kind of stuff, you have to understand their frustration that this is a club. They got basically a free stadium, a free stadium. The legacy of the Olympics. There was a promise to go and invest the money and then go and spend on the club to try and push towards the top four. And make the stadium fit for purpose. And I think the net spend has been something like 15 million, 12 million, 15 million. It's been, it's been a, a nothing net spend on the club. Which means at its core, the West Ham story is a cautionary tale of a modern club trying to leap into the big time and yeah. close the gap with the big six on the cheap, just tumbling through managers and playing styles and an awful transfer strategy for incoming talent. I mean, it's hard to believe. Was it just 2017 when they still had Dimitri Payet? When they were on the up and everything felt that nothing could go wrong now. Back-to-back 4-1 defeat and a spanking at home to Burnley. Darkness. Only darkness. Arsenal, 3. Watford, nil. Rod Goldstrom, Skodra Mustafi, and January transfer twins, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang (laughs) and Henrik Mkhitaryan. See, Arsenal... Cruise against the Orns. Peter Cech also mugged off Troidini by saving a penalty that would have made it 2-1, preserving the Czech's 200th career clean sheet. Wow, what a career. And giving Arsenal its second straight win. Oh, I realise this They're weekend. back again. They were yeah. back. They were gone. Then they were back. Then they were gone again. Now they're back again. I realised this weekend when I tuned to watch Arsenal, mm-hmm. this Arsenal team, I feel a sense of overwhelming guilt as if I was like attending a bear baiting or a bare knuckle fight. Or like the shooting of a snuff film. I bet Xhaka would love to make a snuff film. Bit of a grudge match, this. Earlier in the season, Watford, remember, came back from 1-0 down to win. And Troy Deeney... Troy Deeney. ...pointed out that Arsenal lack, quote, a bit of cojones. How would he say that? A bit of cojones. For a game, at least. A bit he, of cojones. I think he probably said, bit of cojones. Yeah. They don't have cojones. Troy would have said, a bit of cojones. <laughs> For a game, at least, he was wrong. Arsenal attacked early and often in an empty-ish Emirates when the much-maligned Mustafi opened the scoring with a free header that the cameras cut to the bench. Steve Bold and Arsene Wenger, they looked so bloody uncomfortable. Two men, neither of whom could quite remember what face they're meant to pull when something nice happens. They had no idea what yeah, to no. do with their hands. But they cruised Peter Cech, David, yeah. amateur drummer. Since mid-December, he's waited for his 200 clean sheet, first Premier League goalkeeper to reach that mark. Finally got it in fine style. First ever penalty save for Arsenal off the wrestling heel known as Fat Drake. Yeah, Trudini. Oh, a check save. Vengeance best served cold. Emirates went as mad as I've ever seen it in a long time. But in truth, you love Peter Cech, a well, Chelsea legend. I think you've got to respect what Peter Cech has contributed to the Premier League and to the clubs he's played for. Not many players, not many keepers are going to go on Twitter and accept responsibility, which he did a couple of weeks ago for that team's loss. I really respect that. In his pomp, Michael Cohen, an Arsenal fan himself, when he played for Chelsea, used to say, when Peter checks in goal, his opponents start the game down 1-0. 
He yeah. was that good, Peter Cech, in his pomp. He was that good. Took that terrible head injury against Reading. But it was an act of bravery. Very, very brave goalkeeper. A very intelligent goalkeeper. A fantastic... Drummer. A fantastic drummer, but also a fantastic sort of changing room mind, really. Has always been an amazing influence on his teams. I mean, people marvel at the fact that Chelsea sold him to a rival. But I think the reason was he'd been such a decent servant to the club. And I think Roman Abramovich's point, my mate Roman's point, was that like... How not can that he, you're speaking for how, Roman, but... Not, not that I'm speaking for him or to him on a daily basis, but it's a... That he, he had to... You, you couldn't say no to Peter at that he's point a, that he'd lost the start. He's that job. nice a guy. Yeah. And in a way, he's become the perfect symbol of modern Arsenal. A lovely guy, an admirable guy, a guy with tons of medals in his past, but he's not what he used to be at all. He's an ageing, vulnerable facsimile of his former self. Bit like me, really. Yeah, and he's not being pushed to Arsenal. I think the other thing is there's no one challenging for his for his place, and most great goalkeepers have somebody pushing them very hard. Oh, big win for Wenger after three straight league defeats. At Chris Insane tweeted us three goal win. Does that equal three year contract extension? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, but as you know, the goal for Arsenal now is to win the Europa League. The the, the goal in football, remarkably, as we all talk about top four finishes, which is not a win, is to win something. And so for Arsenal to win the Europa League would be, it's not about that's what gets them into the Champions League. It would be a trophy. They won the FA Cup last year. They need to win the Europa League this Happy year. Happy Pi Day, Big Sam. Bournemouth won, Tottenham four, hung over after their shocking, haunting midweek Champions League exit at the hands of Juventus. Spurs surged back from 1-0 down to pump four past the Cherries. A sun double and goals from Delhi. And the foul throw in Ivorian Serge Aurier sees Spurs leapfrog Liverpool into third place. But the win came at a cost as Harry Kane limped off injured ankle, Rog, in the first half. And that's his bad ankle. Big fright, Dave. Oh, Harry banged into Begovic, turned that right ankle. And yeah. nation's hopes hang on that right ankle. He's injured the same joint twice in the past 12 months. He's missed 14 games because of it. Yeah. Was it easier for us to lose the Empire than it would be for us to lose Harry Kane at the World Cup? Uh, I think this is, I mean, I think it's a terrible thing for Tottenham and obviously difficult for Harry Kane. I mean, in some ways, the injury could not have come at a better time for England. He'll be back uh, nice and fresh, just sort of around the end of April, um, play a few games, get warmed up, not be too exhausted, go to the World Cup fresh. I think this is actually a piece of good news for England. And luckily for Spurs, they've got... Hung Min Son, Lord Sonny of oh, White Hart Lane. What a player. Oh, this game did become the Sun show. He's mm. now clearly, clearly, inarguably the best Sun since Jaden Smith. Seven goals in his last four games for the Maestro. It's going to be fascinating to see the extent to which he uh, and Delhi can pick up the slack uh, and not let Kane's absence kind of halter the chase for the top four place. Here's what I want to ask you, though, David. They certainly did pick up the slack. They play very well in combination. Uh, with each other. I liked it. Oh, here's what I wanted to ask you. After Juventus shocked Spurs, Cellini basically looked into the camera and said the Juventus players never doubted victory because they knew it's in the history of Tottenham to fail when it matters most. Oh, it's stinging. That really hurt my mates who are Tottenham fans. They hated it because everybody sort of admires, you know, the big Italian defender. And when he said it, it was just so tough coming from him. Because it's like their worst fear. The thing that they have to defend most about Tottenham, which is their heart and their strength and their character. Spoken out by somebody that they revere. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> really, really difficult. But you know what? Well put. And I think when you go back to that Champions League game, there was 
very different than Man United's loss, which feels like it's all about Mourinho. This was all about the players. Is he, It's hard to look at Poch and say, oh, we really hold you very responsible for that. It was the, the players seemed to just like diminish in front of our and eyes. It's a truly remarkable part of football for me that teams do have histories cultures that are bigger than the current manager and the players that are handed down generation to generation. Yeah, it's just see, a fascinating But dynamic. I don't think that is true. And yet, it's something that can be exploited mentally by opponents. Oh, mate, if your family were chased by Cossacks for generations, yeah. crap would just be in your DNA too. <laughs> by the way, but that's the fans. There are not many, there are not many players... I would say in the Tottenham team whose families are descended from people who were chased by Cossacks, much as the Tottenham faithful would love to Daniel believe. Levy. <laughs> He's not playing, Rog. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, Chelsea, two. Crystal Palace, one. Antonio Conte's side fend off Crystal Palace thanks to a 25th-minute Willian strike and a 32nd-minute Martin Kelly own goal. Patrick van Arnholt, former Chelsea player, pulled one back in the 90th minute, too late to lift Palace from the relegation zone. Chelsea stay fifth. But as we mentioned earlier, close the gap on Liverpool to four. Oh, Chelsea down their bogey team. Yeah. By shock or fielding proper strikers. Yeah. It was old school, wonderful football for an hour. William Zappa standing mm-hmm. out. Then they coasted, mildly crapped it. And poor Palace found another way to fight like hell and walk away from a game without a point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Palace fought very, very hard in this one. Especially in the second half. Good to see Wilfred back playing again. Ruben Loftus-Cheek was being fit to play in this game, but he can't play against his loan-out club. Palace play Huddersfield, then Liverpool in the next two massive games, and then a run of winnable uh, opponents. I have to believe Palace's fighting spirit is how England survives the Blitz. Roy will be making that speech in the dressing room. Uh, He'll be saying, when I was 48, there was a thing called a Blitz. Uh, Newcastle 3, Southampton nil. the John Joe Shelby-powered Magpies they might change their name to that, actually. Smash an uninspired Saints side. A Kennedy brace. Got another Chelsea player playing well. Including one to 63 seconds into the game and a Matt Ritchie strike. Prove the final straw for Premier League manager. <sighs> mashup Mauricio Pellegrino. One win in the last 17 games. Leaves Southampton one point from the drop. A Puel. A Puel. My kingdom for a Puel. Mm. Eighth place in a cup final seemed like a decade ago for Southampton. Yeah. They are having one of the stealthiest of nightmare Premier League campaigns I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Failing so boringly that no one is noticing their quiet implosion. Hapless manager Mauricio Pellegrini after this one declared, my players gave up, which is never really an advisable move because yeah. they can't get rid of 22, 23 players. Yeah. He was fired on Monday. Bookies have Marco Silva as favourite to replace him, head of Slavan Bilic, 4-1, to one, and Mark Hughes, who I do think is going to get the job, 7-1. to one. But if you're listening, Southampton president Ralph Kruger, and I uh-huh. know you listen yeah. to Men in Blazers, go and get Big Sam from Everton. <laughs> he never gets relegated, yeah. and you can get revenge for Everton nicking Ronald Koeman. Do it. Do it. Uh, yeah, this was a big win for Newcastle, we should say as well. This was a bottom of the table, lower, lower third of the table clash. Newcastle, very important three points. West Brom, one. Leicester, four. Rog, his lord and saviour may have taught Super Al about forgiveness, but he failed to mention <laughs> defensive tactics. The Baggies give up a one-goal lead, conceding four goals. And the usual suspects, a wonder strike oh, from Jamie Vardy. Google that goal. Uh, it will make your day. And Mares as well as Kalichi Ihinacho and Vicente Ibora leave West Brom nailed to the bottom eight points from safety. But Big Al kept his job. 
Amazing. Huddersfield, nil. Swansea, nil. A game in which 10-man Swansea became only the third side to fail to have a single shot in a Premier League game since Opta started tracking the data in 2003. Nonetheless, a point apiece for two teams trying to beg, borrow and steal their way to 40. Right now, they're both on 31. Four points from the drop Come zero. on, the Swans. Everton, two. Brighton, nil. Well done, Roger. Your boys dispatched the Seagulls thanks to a 60th minute. Gaetan Bong, own goal. And your longtime hero, Jenk, Tosan's second goal in as many games. A good weekend at the Bennett residence, Roger. Yeah, a bit of a snooze, to be honest. Yeah. Everton are poor, but we're not loose to Brighton. They're home poor. Mm-hmm. Two goals. One, a thunderous strike from Jenk Tosan. You love him. I've, yeah, I do. I have for a long time admired him. Not just yeah. when he came. I've always loved Jenk. Yeah. But I'll say, uh, it's clear to me, Everton's methodology with strikers uh-huh. is to treat them like total crap. Make yeah. them paranoid, uh-huh. fearful. Yeah. Just shred their confidence. Yeah. And then let them loose Omar the ass style. Yeah. Until they excel. Treat the mead to keep the key, mm-hmm. says Sam Allardyce. That's how I deal with multi camera directors. <laughs> Everton play at Stoke on Saturday. Uh huh. And do you know who'll be there? Who? Me. You. Making a pilgrimage. You're going to England. Yeah. I went to my first ever Everton game. Uh huh. April 1st, 1978. Yeah. Everton beat Derby County. Mm-hmm. I was seven. Mm hmm. And I've taken all of my kids to their first game when they were the exact same age. Really? So I'm flying over with my youngest, yep. Oz. And we're going to drive to the Bet 365 uh-huh. with him, Oz, seven, and my 80-year-old dad, three generations of stoic Everton sufferers. It's going to be magnificent. To be honest, I'm actually going to Liverpool for some work. And my brother... What? You're having your eyebrows done, your yes. cheeks. Yeah. What, what kind of work? You're getting I, some of the neck fat removed. I've got... I'm one way for the book jacket photo. <laughs> oh, I'm actually going for some cosmetic dentistry, David. Oh, you can see Bobby Chomper's dentist. Yeah, I've got a booking. You may see a little... Something different in my um, visage when I return. So I'm going to Liverpool. Yeah. And my brother offered me his Liverpool season tickets because they're playing 5.30 on Saturday. Yeah. And even though it would have been much more convenient to be like, yeah, you know, I'll take Oz to Anfield. I couldn't stand the thought that for the rest of his life, my son would have a first Premier League memory of of Anfield. I couldn't live with myself. Yeah, there's no way you could take him to Anfield. So Stoke. He's a blue. You're going with Stoke. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, I've got to remind you because George is also seven. I've got to take him to Chelsea. We've got to go, mate. We've I got, got to. Go. T- I gave my tickets to a bunch of GFOPs from Chicago this weekend who went and enjoyed their first Chelsea game. And my nephews gave some tickets. My mate George Ward gave some tickets, and we got three of them in. Oh my word! They had such an experience. I must say, one of them cried, wept. Uh, at being at her first Chelsea game, uh, so sent beautiful. pictures of the whole thing. It was a really, oh, really lovely thing. They got to see thing. Giroud just hit the post over and over <laughs> yeah, again. It takes a lot of skill good, to do that. It's a good thing to hit a post. It's a good thing to hit a post. Okay, big ups to the brilliantly named Classic Meatballers for taking home this week's MIB Togger Fantasy League title. A patch is in the mail. And in MLS, Rog. MLS. 38 goals in nine Major League Soccer games this weekend. Take uh, that, haters! Rog, LAFC won convincingly again. They're amazing. Atlanta United set another attendance record. That's ridiculous. And NYCFC saw off the LA Galaxy 2-1 in an early season transcontinental clash. Yeah, NYCFC, 20-year-old new boy, yeah. Jesus Medina, mm-hmm. just instantly becoming the Paraguayan Jack Harrison. LAFC... Week two of their invincible season. Yeah. Can't wait for that DVD. Yeah. 5-1 stroll in mm-hmm. real Salt Lake. 
Oh, it could have been more for Bob Bradley. Oh, he's American Pep. And wow, Diego Rossi. He is a fine, fine footballer. I will say, watching him and other young protégés flourish, it's exactly what MLS should be about. And in what has become customary, but that doesn't make it any less amazing, Atlanta, a record-breaking 72,035. Incredible. Put, put that into context. This weekend, Dortmund-Frankfurt, 81,360. United-Liverpool, 74,855. Then, Atlanta. I mean, Mercedes-Benz, a legitimate footballing wonder. Feel-good story for all of us in America, when I think we all agree. It's amazing. And all these mainstream sports media piling onto that story and just talking about it. Not. Please excuse my scepticism on the wider media taking it very, very seriously. Certainly the wider sports media, the the just complete and utter... Uh, ignoring of what's going on in Atlanta is starting to starting to starting to get on my nerves. It's starting Rush. to, starting to get on my nerves. Do you want to just do you just want to grab hold of the media like Mark Noble grabbing hold of a West Ham yes, fan? Yes, exactly. It's exactly what I want to do. And then another good piece of American footballing news. Yeah. Actually, on the day after MLS teams finally uh-huh. ousted Liga MX foes in the Concacaf Champions League, Red Bulls smashing Tijuana and Toronto holding off Liga MX Apertura champions, the Mighty Tigres. Yesterday. MLS announced a partnership with Liga MX September 19th in Toronto, the birth of the Campeones Cup. Mm-hmm. Double C. MLS champions Toronto will play a Liga MX champion. Long dreamt of this winner-take-all kind of footballing Super Bowl. Real hard news hook for MLS, which I think is exactly what it needs to go next level because it needs a real grudge game yep. that the wider media are going to tune in in a way they don't for MLS Cup. Yep. And because of the Mexico-US rivalry, geopolitical and sporting, this game, it's got the possibility of becoming a regular, epic, spiky classic. The US Women's National Team claimed this year's She Believes Cup, beating runner-up England, Rog, 1-0 in Jamlando, behind a Karen Bardsley own goal. (laughs) Nothing sadder than a Karen Bardsley own goal, Rog. A heartbreaker for the American-born Bardsley. So true, in life, there's there's something. She's made to score in goals. Yeah, she now plays for Man City, Rog. Megan Rapinoe's cross hit off two Lioness defenders before going off Bardsley and ending up in the back of the net it's actually comedy three solid if not spectacular performances for Jill Ellis's side in this tournament against three of the best teams in the world one of the true joys watching the enthusiasm with which GFOP Megan Rapino continues to play with so deep into her career oh. we admire you Megan I'll say England women were pretty tactically solid I mean, no, in England are good They're two good. own goals in the tournament though Phil Neville's managerial impact quickly being felt yeah exactly okay your Premier League slash FA Cup combo meal weekend with an MLS on the side looks like this all Premier League games are Saturday Stoke versus Everton Huddersfield versus Palace huge game I'll be, and I'll be, I'll be one of those versus West Brom oh, all kick off at 11am Eastern time Liverpool versus Watford follows at 1.30pm Eastern time all of those games on the NBC family of networks meanwhile in the FA Cup quarterfinals on the Fox family of networks. Burnley host Spurs at 8.15am Eastern Time Saturday. Man United take on Brighton at 3.45 that afternoon. And Sunday, it's Wigan versus Southampton at 9.30. And Leicester versus Chelsea at noon 30. Roger, it's terrifying. Chelsea's season could be over because we're recording this before the Champions League game against Barcelona. They play the FA Cup final. I don't care about top four finishes. I don't compete for top four finishes. I compete to win things. Rog. And so Chelsea's season could essentially be over by uh, Sunday (laughs) afternoon at 2.15. I'll be texting you. And in MLS, NYCFC host Jam Lando Saturday at 3.30pm Eastern Time on Univision. And for our Canadian GFOPs, 
sorry. The 401 derby between Montreal and Toronto at 3 p.m. that same day on CTV. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium. And yet we've now put links up again so that you can get into the... We've got back into the Amazon affiliate program. We're just trying to uh, suck up to them. Did we mention we got a book? Yeah, it's transformed <laughs> into the Men in Blazers. Bald Mark could be changing yet again. More on that to come. But for now, number one in golf. What are you putting in the Bald Mark this week, Rogelio? A book, Tears of Salt, a doctor's story by Pietro Bartolo. Bartolo is a fisherman's son turned local doctor on the beautiful island of Lampedusa, the southernmost point of the Republic of Italy. It's closer to Africa in reality and as such has become the first port of call for desperate refugees flooding into Europe from all points, a crossing that's often fatal. And this memoir, it's a difficult but crucial read, written by a gent on the front line of Europe's immigration tilts, a bloke who's had to care for a Somali man who carried his paralyzed brother across the desert and ocean, or a Syrian father who had to choose to let his son drown in order to save his wife and baby daughter the next. It is a haunting, poetic book that ultimately examines what it means to be human. To you, David. Rogers, you know, I don't put books very often into the bald mark. But when you do, when I do, they are really worth it. Our mate, Mary H.K. Choi's debut novel, Rog. M.H.K. Choi. Mary H.K. Choi. She is, if Brett Easton Ellis, John Green, and Dorothy Parker had a polyamorous love child, oh. Rog. It is a the writing of this book, the dialogue. She writes about... Emergency Contact. Well, it's a book is called Emergency Contact. It's a YA novel, but it really can be read by anyone. I'm not YA. It might be my reading level, but I'm not, I'm not all YA. And it's a love story set in the modern era amongst college students in Austin, Texas. She did a lot of reporting. She's a brilliant journalist, and she wrote an article for Wired about these social media habits, the texting, the cell phone habits, smartphone habits of teenagers and young people. And she took that research, she turned it into a book. And as someone who uh, has a 26-year-old daughter who lives in Austin, Texas, and is around a lot around her friends, around the dialogue of her friends, it is so authentically written. It's a brilliant and haunting love story. This is the emergence of a brilliant, brilliant new writing voice, I just read this and all I see is movie, 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 movie. It is just a fantastic, fantastic book. It is just out. Go and buy it. Put this book on the New York Times top 10 bestseller list. It I, is fantastic. I'm looking at it now. Listeners, make this book number two in golf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and number one in sports, which will be weird <laughs> how that would work. But who knows how these lists uh, work. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Rog Bennett. On Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davis. On Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex with Dumbo? I like snaps. Bald Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Gotta go now, Rog. Love you too. Gotta go. Can't, not available to do the show. You'll have to do 1992 all by yourself. Oh, I've got to go to the bet 365. To Stoke. <laughs>